We are Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is the Walking With Podcast. We lead a team of brave and brilliant story work counselors and coaches around the country, all committed to helping you come alive. Join us as we explore the sacred landscape of the human heart at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry. This month, we're in a series on psychology terms that you may have heard about, but aren't sure exactly what they mean. Today, we're joined by one of our spiritual counselors, Tammy Furrier, to talk about survival strategies and coping mechanisms. You can learn more about Tammy over on our website, restorationcounselingnoco.com slash Tammy-Furrier. And of course, anything else you need to know about us on the same site or visit our digital laboratory site at restorylabs.com, the space to come alive via courses, memberships, webinars, and more. Here's our conversation with Tammy. Tammy, welcome to the podcast today. We're so glad that you've joined us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Let's start. Let's dive in to really hearing more about what brings you to do this kind of work. What's your big why? Okay. Well, my big why, I think, started when I sought um, counseling for myself for healing. And it was after I became a believer and I went to counseling for an eating disorder. This was like in the late 80s. And I was actually encouraged to do things that were um, more harmful to my soul than actually healing to my soul. And so that's when the original passion started. And I went to, um, I decided to go to school and get um, my master's in counseling and then integrate theology with it. Um, I eventually ended up, counseling and then had four kids in three years as some of you know so I had twins and even though it wasn't traumatic it was very stressful and so one day I had a client and she was suicidal and one of my kids Mm -hmm. I think was about to jump off the counter or something and I thought I'm not helping anyone so I took a little break And when my twins went to college, I went back into counseling. And that's when all this trauma um, and uh, science-backed psychology and theology through the Allender Center is where I first Mm -hmm. came in touch with all of this. And it was just so encouraging. So I realized I actually had a story of trauma. And as I received healing for some of that myself, I just wanted to bring it to others. And one of the things that we say here at Restoration often is that we can't go into territory that we with other people unless we ourselves have begun to navigate some of that territory for our, you know ourselves. And that's what I'm hearing is that you got into the work of restoration because you experienced restoration. Uh, and mm-hmm. that that is so beautiful and what a great place to come from. Um, you mentioned just a moment ago that you recognized that you had a story of trauma. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the frameworks of restoration counseling is that we do story work. And you uh, are one of those uh, professionals here that does that kind of story work uh, with people. And I'd love to hear when you begin to think about story, when you begin to think about having a story, uh, right? What was that process like for you when you first woke up to the reality of like, oh, I have a story of trauma? And then where were some of the ways that you, places that you went with that uh, or you go with people that you work with here? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a good question. Um, Well, I'll tell you from my own experience as, so we had to, in our training and, um, you know, bring stories where we had trauma or some people just say, where I've had harm done, or I remember something that really affected me and I still have wounds as a result of it, however you want to phrase it. And as people started stepping into my story with me, they gave me a new perspective because Mm -hmm. as children, obviously we don't have a lot of capacity to make sense of our story or when things are happening. And so, you know, we just come up with some kind of way to make have it make sense. And what I realized is my perspective on my story wasn't the whole story, wasn't the true story. Um, And I don't know if we get all the story this side of Eden or heaven, but um, it really changed my perspective of who I am. And what was the most healing, I think, is the courageousness of the people that would step into those places where I felt like I was stuck. I didn't know I felt like I was stuck, but it was really places where I couldn't move forward. And um, they actually gave me in some ways what I needed in that moment that I didn't receive. And um, those are pretty dark places. Um, So That was really healing for me, and it just changed how I viewed myself, how I viewed God, how I viewed other people, um, my ability to love others and and even God. And so it just became this burning fire in me, like, I want this for everyone, please. But like you said, like, you have to do the work yourself, and I don't think it's ever finished. (laughs) And that's kind of how I found out about restoration counseling is I was like, I got to keep doing my own work. Um, Mm. And we can't see ourselves, right? We can't see ourselves. People come to me and they'll be like almost embarrassed that they don't see Mm. parts of their story. And it's like, how in the world would you see yourself? Nobody can see themselves. That's why I feel like God kind of rigged the system. Like we have to have each other. (laughs) Yeah. A relational God rigged the system too. humans. Uh, I love that. <laughs> when, when you think about kiddos that are going through those kinds of experiences that you talked about, right, where we can't, we don't have the truth, we can't see our story, we can't even make sense of our story. Tell me, what are some of the things that happen in the life of a child um, in order to try to make sense, in order to survive uh, those stories, those experiences that they have? I don't know what you're asking, but for me, like I've got, I'm doing a lot of training in also neurology and affect and um, relational model as well as story. And so 
a child is meant to come into the world and receive the things that he or she needs to develop. And so a lot of times our traumas or things that happen to us are where we, excuse me, we don't get what we need. And it can just be nurturing. It can be love. It can be being seen. Whether you say that's connection, attunement, where you learn to trust, where you learn to have your own thoughts, um, where you learn to love others. And so it can happen very young and you don't have any tools. And so I mean, children are brilliant. They come up with ways to survive, whether it's they have to leave their body, whether it's they have to, a lot of times what children do is turn inward and think they don't have the ability to say, there's something wrong with my dad today and I'm okay. (laughs) They have to go, something must be wrong with me because I have to stay attached to my dad. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I'll die. I, I absolutely will die. And so somehow children make sense of those situations. So it can be something like that where you're lacking what you need to thrive, or it can be obviously traumas like sexual abuse or uh, a parent dying or even, you know, a dog dying and no one coming alongside you saying, can I just grieve with you? Can I hold you? Can I let you know that there's someone here to be with you? So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's very young, obviously. And so what happens when those survival techniques, those coping mechanisms aren't addressed? Well, they get embedded in our nervous system, which I would say is top is bottom up and they get embedded in our, the way our brain functions. So um, in some ways we can get this. I don't want it to sound derogatory, but if we don't get what we need, we can actually have a form of brain damage, right? Our hippocampus, the part of us that's supposed to say it's okay, never grows to its full capacity. So we don't even have that part of us or we have very little of it. Or if our amygdala is on fire all the time, we're looking at every situation going, is this bad, good or scary? Got bad, good or scary. So even as adults, we might in the left side of our brain go, I know this isn't a big deal. Like I know, you know, like I did today. I know this is not a big deal, but my amygdala is going berserk. And it, ha- it, it doesn't have a concept of time to say, no, it's 2020. It's not when you were four. <laughs> it's not when you were five. And so our survival techniques or strategies or coping mechanisms can be anything. Like for me, it was hiding. Just, just hide and then you'll be fine. But, you know, that's not very helpful when you're an adult. And I don't need that strategy anymore. And it actually keeps me from bringing the reflection of God I'm meant to bring. It actually keeps me from engaging um, someone's story. I can, but so I don't know. We're asking you to come out of hiding and do this podcast with us. Yeah, absolutely. Your natural survival strategy would have been hiding and Mm -hmm. we're asking you not to do that. And then your amygdala is going off and telling you this should be scary. You should run from this. That's, Mm -hmm. is that, that's kind of how you're describing what that might look like as an adult who is, whose body has been shaped by early traumas Mm -hmm. and still functions out of those shaping neuropathways. Absolutely. And it's unconscious, right? Like usually because you can't see it, you know, you can't see it. And then of course, at some point, obviously we believe in story and you think, well, evil loves that. So just don't do it. Right. 
and then I'm participating or cooperating with evil. And I know we're talking about a podcast, but that can play out in all shapes and forms, right? Um, we're meant to bring our faces. We're meant to bring the reflection of God, God put in us. Um, we're meant to fight the evil one, not on our own strength, but if there's less of him in the world, then guess who wins? What gives you the wherewithal or the choice? What gives us the wherewithal or the choice to not default back into those same survival techniques, right? Because they, they actually, as kiddos, they were helpful. Absolutely. They were helpful. Um, they protected us. They defended against uh, the panic of whatever we were facing. Like it was helpful to have those. And if those are written into our neurology, as we were just talking about, how do we change that? How do we grow from where we were and stuck in those places to a place of freedom? Yeah, and that's what I feel like I get the the honor of is stepping into those sacred places with people. And I think first and foremost is to create space uh, where you can just become aware. And I know this is often used, but with curiosity and kindness. And in some ways, just thanking those defensive mechanisms and um, allowing them to be seen without judgment and contempt and shame. Hmm. Did you say thanking? I just, this is a, this is a posture shift. I think that a lot of people don't necessarily have. You said thanking them rather mm -hmm. than condemning them. Mm -hmm. Cause I think our default is to condemn, right? Yeah. Especially in Christianity. Cause it's like, and, and even if it is or it isn't, it, you know, it's like it's an idol or you're being disobedient. And it's like, then you just resort to more survival. Exactly. So you have to almost, and I know it sounds weird to thank it, but it's like, you saved me. Mm -hmm. I don't need you in the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. But like, if I'm feeling fear to come on here today and I know my story enough, I can say, well, fear, you did a really good job of helping me run when I needed to run, but I don't need to run today, and it's okay, and um, yeah, and God, will you just come in this place and give me the courage, because I want to have courage, and then the cool thing, this is what I say, you know, is um, science is catching up with God in the sense that new pathways do get formed, so the next time, if I'm to do a podcast or I've been asked to do, you know, speak at retreats or something. And I think my wheels are going to come off. And then afterwards, I'm just like, that wasn't so bad. That was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just this, I don't know. It's not just about beliefs, I guess, is what we're saying. And I think all along, we've kind of um, thought, well, if you just memorize scripture, and I think it's true, because that's the plumb line of life. It gives us what is true. But it's not just your beliefs. It's also wired into you. And, and God knows that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like I said to you, when I saw you, oh, I see friendly faces. It's like, okay, I can relax inside. Right? I, it's like, you're the face of God to me in this moment. Um, and then we get to bring ourselves in a different way. So, and I love that choice to bring gratitude to the survival, to say thank you to it, which then opens up the space for a choice that wasn't possible before. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the movement of what we talk about at Restoration, this restoring process of there was a story. Let's be grateful for 
the survival that we had. And now let's open up new possibilities for different stories to exist. Mm -hmm. And when you get to see it or be in the presence of it, because you know it's holy work and you know that God showed up. It's just Mm -hmm. like when you talk about passion, I just, sometimes I just leave and I go, one, I think, man, you are a resilient human being and only God can make you that way. One, when you hear some people's stories and two, you just get to see transformation happen and it just, it's just, there's nothing like it. I know you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Just like that has to be God. I know at the Allender Center and I don't know if this is where it came up, but you just do, you feel like you got to step on the neck of evil and it feels really good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I hear a little fight in you there. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> feisty, <Carolina>. too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm pretty tenacious. Mm-hmm. I get scared, but I will fight for people. I'll go down in dark alleys and because um, that's mm-hmm. where my story felt like I got rescued from. So mm-hmm. I don't want other people to be stuck there either. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts and what you do. And, and I love that phrase you just said, I will go down dark alleys. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just the epitome, I think, of the work that you do here. So thank you for that. We do have a kind of a funny shift, a little bit of a lighter tone question for you. Uh-huh. Uh, and asking everybody. We've all been on Zoom now for six months or more. And we're asking What's the funniest, craziest, wackiest situation you've encountered while on a Zoom call? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I have a crazy one, but, you know, not any that someone else might have. But I was counseling um, a young woman and her internet wasn't working. So she was in her car, but then her phone, and it wasn't even in her parking lot area. So she drove to her friend's house, was sitting in her car. Then her phone was about to go dead. So she jumped out of her car and she's like looking for a, an outlet to plug in her phone. <laughs> so she's just running around, plugs it in. I don't even know whose yard she was in. And she's just like, we're just, we're just counseling away. And it was... Wow. Meanwhile, you probably feel like you're bouncing, literally <laughs> getting dizzy. <laughs> On the screen, yeah. And, and back to that resiliency of a person, I'm like, she wants freedom. Mm. She, she will do anything, right? Because who wouldn't just say, never mind, my internet's not working. I, you know, mm-hmm. no, she's going to run around and find an outlet. <laughs> I love that. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tammy. 